And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. It's a little bit different this morning here at Sovereign Grace. And actually, I was having this set up this morning anyway. As many of you know, I had knee surgery this week. So um, I didn't want to stand very long. I've stood more this morning than I probably needed to. But uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for praying for Rhonda. Um, we got through it. Didn't we, sweetheart? Um, oh, I'm great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no pain. Uh, a little stiffness in the knee every now and then. And uh, Rhonda has dealt with much this week, so pray for her. Um, but I wanted to, I mean, I needed to sit down this morning anyway, so it's a little bit different. We're, I'm, I'm teaching from a sitting position, which is not normal. Normally it's in the pulpit, uh, but it's a relaxed, uh, snowy-ish, wintry day anyway, amen. But if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, we will continue looking at our Lord's teaching through parables. And if you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Let's do that together. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13 and reading verses 31 through 33. The Word of God tells us from Matthew's Gospel, he says, He, being Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Mm. Simple, but impactful. Let's pray. Dear God, you have uh, taught us something mysterious but miraculous through just these two short parables from our Savior. They teach us how to think about the kingdom of heaven. Why is it that we need to understand this, Lord? Is because you are beyond all of our comprehension and your kingdom is the same. And so, God, I pray this morning that as you have blessed us with your presence and as you have blessed us with a calming of our spirit, that now, Lord, you would speak through your word to us, cause us to trust you and have faith, dear God, that your hand is always at work and that, Lord, through your grace and your mercy, we are privileged to be a part of that work. Humble us, Father, I pray this morning and teach us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. Far too often, we Christians, we're, we're fervent to spread the gospel. Anybody guilty? You're passionate to spread the gospel, or at least you're fervent to build a ministry of some kind. And, and this can be a, an error, a fault of many who are in professional ministry. They want to build a ministry. But even in this area of Cookville, I, I see... Many people from the churches who want to start a ministry. And they will, I mean, trust me, if you've been around this area much for very long, you will be invited to probably a dozen or more fundraising banquets this year. It's, it's this type of a community. People are always raising money for their ministries. 
And, and many ministries are good. They, they, they do good work for our community. They do much good work for the kingdom. Yet, let's be honest, many times the fervency to spread the gospel and the fervency to build a ministry becomes something that is full force of our own work because we feel we have to help God build his kingdom. And I think what we're seeing here in these parables are some very subtle but very powerful hints that that's not what the kingdom of heaven is. Part of this method of building ministry is stems from, I think, our fast-paced modern world. I mean, we, we, we find ourselves imposed in this immediate gratification mindset, right? We want to grow the kingdom of heaven as fast as we can grow a business. We want to grow the kingdom of heaven as fast as we can go through the drive-thru at McDonald's and be successful in our uh, workplaces or whatever it is. We, we, we take control of our world and we, we grow it. And we have a timeline. You know, if, if we don't meet a certain, certain level of achievement, then we're, we're failures. And I think that is a poison in our modern age that infects us in the church. God orders everything in the world. And in this parable here of the mustard seed, this is an analogy. It's an analogy of a mustard seed. And it, I think it's, it's an analogy that points to the natural way things work. Uh, it's the natural way that things grow. I mean, this is what we call the natural law. God orchestrates all natural things to, or, to, to function the way they function for a particular purpose and a particular end. How many of y'all have gardens? Uh, well, you'll be planting gardens here in a couple of months and then in the summer. Uh, you, you put seeds in the ground and what else do you do? You water it, you cultivate it, you weed it, but do you cause that seed to grow? No. Not one of us causes any seeds to grow. We, we, we know the natural process, but it is God's hand that causes things to grow. We don't under, I mean, we, we have science and biology that can break down the, the steps for the fertilization of a seed and the different stages of growth that a plant goes through. We can understand those things, but we cannot make a seed grow. I think there's, there's an important analogy here that Jesus is using. Just like God who orders all of the natural world, I think likewise he orders the fertilization and the growth of his kingdom. There is no difference. He needs no help. Our role is to simply cultivate what God has initiated. Let's notice here in verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Notice that's the only role that any human being has in the kingdom of heaven. They take what God has given and they sow it by his design and his purposes. That's it. Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven here as something that begins very small. In our eyes, a mustard seed is very small, but, but this insignificant, tiny thing has the powerful purpose of something grand, doesn't it? 
We have to understand that this parable in light of what we saw in the parable of the sower. Remember last week, we were looking at the parable of the sower. That was verses 1 through 8. And then the description, explanation of verses 18 through 23. In order for the mustard seed to take root and to flourish, remember what the parable last week said of the sower. The seed must be sowed where? In good soil. We can't forget that part of the mustard seed parable. A man sows mustard seed in a field, and that is like the kingdom of heaven. In order for the mustard seed to take root, let's remember, you you just can't sow it anywhere you want. It must be sown on good soil. And so wherever the word of God is truly sown, and that seed is wholeheartedly received by faith, there the kingdom of heaven grows, and it spreads and it's irresistible in its growth. Notice that. That's what we're seeing here in this insignificant, tiny little mustard seed. Wherever the Word of God is truly sown, and it is wholeheartedly and genuinely received by faith, God will cause this seed to spread, and it will grow with a power and and a force that is irresistible. You cannot stop it apart from purposefully burning it or Digging it up or, you see the point here? When it, when it takes root, it's going to grow. It's going to take over. It's not a thing whose power and influence, I think, can be seen directly as we see the growth of something like a great nation or a great corporation or, or, or something that we see in the modern world as successful. What's growing here and what is, is, is spreading instead is the kingdom of heaven. It is something that, that we believe rather than we behold. Notice that. I think what Jesus is showing us here is that when you the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that is sown and we believe that it will grow and we we will witness the effects of it, but we don't actually watch everything that is happening under the soil and behind the scenes. You see, so so there's a there's a deep sense of faith in the growth of the kingdom of heaven. It will grow despite our faith. It will grow despite our efforts. But it is something that we believe will grow rather than we watch intimately growing. You notice that? Have you ever struggled with that? Why is it that God's kingdom is not expanding in my life? Why is it that God is not blessing or prospering a particular family or a particular group of people? You know, someone may even be struggling. Why am I not hearing from God? Why, why do I not see his, his love in my life? What, what is happening here? I think this parable here from Jesus helps us see the kingdom of heaven grows in ways we do not see. Just like that mustard seed as it takes root. It, it, it has no significant growth for a very long time. <laughs> the roots are spreading, and, and it's doing what God has designed it to do in the natural order of things. And we may think, well, that is nothing. But notice what happens here in verse 32. When he says here in verse 32, Jesus says, it is the small, speaking of the mustard seed, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. It's an insignificant seed. Now we're going to stay right here in verse 32 for a little bit. There's a lot here to unpack just in verse 32. Y'all ready? Most of you are. That's good. 
Amen. Let's dig into verse 32. It's the smallest of the seeds. Let's remember that the parable of the sower that we looked at last week, in that parable, Jesus points out that the one who spreads seed, they're spreading the word of God. In this instance, Jesus is preaching. He's preaching the word of God. Right? And if you remember, so do his, his, his disciples and his apostles later. And so do you and I. We spread the word of God just like the sower here is doing it. What we sow as God's instruments is only what God first speaks. We don't speak anything that God has not spoken first. We do not share anything about the gospel that God himself has not spoken into being first. And we do not really speak anything apart from what he proclaims. If we do, we're not spreading God's word. So it seems that this parable of the mustard seed, this mustard seed represents the word of God. And it begins small. See, we, a lot of us, we, we, we struggle with that, that concept because we think of God's word as big and grand, and it is. But what Jesus is showing us here is that the Word of God begins as a small, insignificant thing. A mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds. That's a different way of thinking about how God's Word begins. But this perception of, uh, of a small thing, insignificant thing, is the perception of our human eyes and our human mind. What we see as small and insignificant, God initiates as something grand. It's got a grand purpose. The theological and the, and the philosophical word, if you're taking notes, some of you like that every now and then, some of you roll your eyes at it. It's called the teleological purpose of the seed. <laughs> okay. It's the, it's the end goal. It's the end purpose of that seed to be the grandest mustard bush tree that it can be. God God designs all of that. Just like His Word as it is spread, it may seem insignificant. Our interactions as studying God's Word together, of worshiping together, of, of even trying to wrestle with God's purpose in my life may seem insignificant to us. Yet if we are faithful and God has seen us as worthy, His favor upon us, there is something grand in His kingdom that He's asking us to be a part of. You see what we're doing here? Those listening to this parable, let's, let's imagine, those who are listening to Jesus teach here, remember they're standing on the shore as Jesus is teaching from a boat. That's what we see in verses 1 and 2. Most in that crowd had the idea that the Messiah would one day come and establish a mighty political kingdom. Let's not forget that context here. But the kingdom that Jesus is teaching about, and that he also illustrates through all of his ministry and his miracles and everything... Everything seemed to be insignificant and small, so relatively insignificant that Jesus was actually ignored as the Messiah by most. Oh, that's just Jesus from that place called Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. It's what we read in John's gospel. Remember? Jesus chose the smallest seed to say that, yes, these are seemingly small beginnings. My ministry to you seems insignificant and my ministry seems small. But the fruit that will come from this ministry, the fruit that will come out of my kingdom will lead to mighty things. 
I think that's what he's helping us see here in verse 32. He also says that this mustard seed grows into a bush. Now, now the mustard bush grows to the height of a tree eventually. Maybe not the tallest tree. It's not technically the biggest tree in the world. I mean, think about the sequoias or the redwoods out in California. I've never seen them. I've only seen pictures and I hear stories that they are some a sight to behold, yes? Even the mustard bush that grows to the size that you would say that's that's a tree is still insignificant in relation to the redwoods and the sequoias or just probably a normal tree. Yet, the eventual end or the purpose of this mustard plant is a force to be reckoned with in the field. Notice here in verse 32. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. It has a significant presence even in the garden. It may not be the biggest tree, but it is larger than all the garden plants that it was growing around. You see that? Likewise, the kingdom that Jesus is establishing here will be the same. It will be a force to be reckoned with. It may not be the largest and the grandest of things. I want us to understand that. Because we can get caught up in, in ministry and in church culture that if we do not grow to be the biggest and the most expensive and the most entertaining, then we're not, we're not actually faithful to the kingdom of heaven. And somehow God's favor must not be upon a congregation if it is not a megachurch or if it doesn't have the smoke machines and the lights and the grand music band. Now, we are blessed that when Nathan is here, he has elevated our worship to not just a professional element, but a very worshipful and biblical element. But even, even as Nathan and I talk about planning worship services, we're both in agreement We're not here to entertain. We're here to worship. Yet that is powerful and it is significant. So notice thing, this this mustard seed as it grows, it becomes something of a force to be reckoned with within the field, but yet it's still not the largest thing in in the scheme of things. Obscure and concealed, although it is, the spread of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of this field, is like the kingdom of heaven spread in the present world. It's going to have a visible effect. It's going to have a visible effect. But a lot of what is happening is going to be mysterious. It's going to be unseen. The pressure of the kingdom of God on our culture will produce effects that we'll see. And it's going to show that the kingdom of God has a power not of this world and that something not of this world is at work. We are called here, and and we see this even here in this parable, that the kingdom of heaven is a force to be reckoned with in the world. And it will have an effect. As Jesus writes, as he speaks here, he continues, he says, this thing as it grows, it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You ever seen that? I mean, I don't know about this time of year. I mean, we've seen some cardinals in recent weeks, but... I think even the, the cold temperatures this week have pushed them even farther away. But there are still some birds around. Some people still put food out for birds, and it's nice to draw them, isn't it? Now, and this reference to the birds nesting in the branches of the mustard tree, this is not the only time we see this in Scripture. 
This is actually echoing the prophecy of Ezekiel. If you can, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 17. Let's understand what Ezekiel says to understand what Jesus is meaning here in Matthew 13. So Ezekiel chapter 17, beginning in verse 22. We'll read verses 22 through 24. The, the prophet Ezekiel speaking God's words. Here's what he says, verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. Verse 23. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest, and all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree, and I make high the low tree, dry up the green tree, and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. You see the prophecy of Ezekiel there, even looking forward to this imagery here, using the imagery of looking forward to the day that the kingdom of heaven that God himself establishes. Notice here in verse 23, I plant it that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. Now a cedar tree is pretty big. But notice the language of nobility here, of high and noble character and worth and value. Verse, and it continues, and under this tree and the branches, it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. This is an imagery of what the kingdom of heaven is doing and what it will do, what the end goal of the kingdom of heaven will be and what is happening right now, even as it is working and growing. It is attracting every kind of bird to nest in its branches. Notice that? God's kingdom will be a visibly earthly kingdom. It will be visible. It'll be an earthly kingdom, yet a supernatural kingdom with far-reaching branches. It'll be, it'll have an internal structure like the branches who are attached to the trunk, right? But what is happening here? Who are the birds of the air? or the King James says, the fowls of heaven. These are the many poor or the outcasts, those outside the kingdom of heaven who are called by the comfort of the branches. That's one idea here about this imagery. And Jesus makes plain here that the kingdom of heaven that he establishes will have a force in the world that will be attractive to the poor, to the downtrodden, to the needy, to the broken in spirit to the humble. Likewise, the kingdom of heaven is it opens its branches to receive all those in need. The many birds of the air here in Ezekiel's prophecy are often cited as being the people of all nations. Many peoples around the world, the Gentiles, who the fruit of preaching reaches. Remember, the, the sowing of seed is the preaching of God's word. And Jesus is saying here in his parable, actually alluding to Ezekiel's prophecy as well, that the kingdom of heaven will be preached and it will, and the branches will spread throughout all the world and the preaching of God's word will reach the Gentiles, those who've never heard of the gospel. 
and it will draw them into a sense, a place of security in the branches of the kingdom. These birds will hear the gospel by the preaching of Jesus's, his apostles, and then throughout church history, the subsequent preachers, and even us, if we are faithful to God's call to live out the gospel, to preach it, we are here to sow the seed. And it will draw the birds of the air to come and rest in the branches of the kingdom. You see that? Many from outside of the kingdom will come to these branches and they'll come for comfort, they'll come for safety, they'll come for a dwelling place, a home. And these birds, they come by faith. They trust that the branches will be safe. They trust that the branches of this mustard seed will give them security and give them what they need. That the mustard bush will provide everything that they're longing for. Isn't that the kingdom of heaven? It's attracting the birds of the air. Now, back in Matthew 13, let's look here in verse 33. Now Jesus speaks a a second parable here in this section that echoes but also extends the meaning of the first of the mustard seed. Verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. We have bakers in this room, people who like to bake. You understand what we're talking about here. Leaven here is yeast. It's the stuff that spreads throughout the dough to cause it to rise, to expand, to become glorious, fresh baked bread. See what I'm thinking about right now? It's a beautiful thing, but it works quietly. It works secretly to produce something beautiful and, and, and grand. The same theme from the parable of the mustard seed carries into this parable of the leaven. Now, now, lest we confuse the application of the image of leaven as negative, and that's, that can easily be done if we confuse the, the context of Matthew 16 as Jesus condemns the leaven of the Pharisees that poison the minds of the faithful. That's not, leaven is not a poison in this context. In the other context, it is. The infiltration of yeast produces good results here in Matthew 13, 33. Again, what is the outcome? What is the purpose of the leaven? Just like what is the outcome and the purpose of the mustard seed? If the outcome and the purpose is something godly and good for the kingdom, it is a good thing. If the outcome is poison like the leaven of the Pharisees, it's a bad thing. But Jesus here in this context is speaking of a glorious thing that yeast does. Without yeast, there is no good bread. Let's just be honest, okay? Without yeast, there's no good bread. It's just not, it's not going to be bread. Bread's good. Toasted bread with butter and honey. When yeast is introduced into flour, let's think about this. When you put the yeast in the flour, at first there's little effect, Right? But soon, when you add all of the ingredients, the warm water, and you begin to mix things, the yeast begins to bubble and to expand. Is that what it does? There's an upheaval and a disturbance in the flour. And you can start seeing the bubbles come. Fermentation gets involved here, and and fermentation, it's violent, really. It's a violent reaction, and it stirs things up, and it spreads throughout the mass of the dough. 
This act of violence in yeast, though, let's think about it. It doesn't destroy the dough. It makes it better. Notice that? It is a violent reaction in yeast, but it does a good thing. It creates a new thing. This is the effect of the kingdom of heaven upon the cultures of the world. It's the effect of the kingdom of heaven in the soul of man. It can become a violent reaction within us, but produce such a beautiful and glorious thing. Likewise, the hidden work of the yeast, it does mighty things in, in the lives of families, in, in missions, in organizations, in culture. In, if, it's, if the kingdom of heaven is the focus of anything, whether it be a government, a nation, a family, a life, it will do amazing things the way yeast does in bread. Amen? Yet the kingdom of heaven, remember, it works quietly, mysteriously. Even though the fermentation takes over all that is infected by it, there's still a mystery there that's happening below the surface. Now, Acts chapter 19 recalls the effects of preaching the gospel in the city of Ephesus. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, but take a note here if you wish. Remember that Paul and his company here, they proclaim the gospel in Ephesus. And, and chapter 19 tells us that he reasoned with persuasion in the synagogues. So much so that the local economy of the craftsmen who marketed idols came to a crushing end. The economy collapsed in Ephesus around these idol merchants. The merchants did not like this disruption. Remember? <laughs> and what was the outcome? By preaching the word of God, Paul and his group there, they were soon in the midst of a riot. Y'all remember that story? Violence occurs because of the preaching of God's word. The rioters intended to make life difficult for Paul. And they succeeded. But notice in Acts chapter 19 that Paul did not go into Ephesus with the intention of starting trouble. Notice that Paul does not start the riot. It's the reaction to God's word and those who oppose God's word that rioted <laughs> and kicked out Paul and his people. While Paul did, all he did, he went there to preach. He went there to build up a quiet congregation of believers. The witness of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of good soil was evident. The lives of humble people were changed. But the outcome of that was a violent reaction from those who opposed the Word of God. Notice that. The violence in Ephesus came from those who opposed the gospel, not those who were changed by the gospel. Yet that change in human beings did cause a reaction to people. We cannot ignore the effects of preaching the Word of God among those citizens in Ephesus. Paul preached boldly. Let's notice how he did He preached boldly, but he reasoned wisely with them. And that was how they were persuaded. He didn't go in there with a bully stick and said, you will convert or else. He just preached the Word with confidence, with reason. And it was the Word of God that did the change. That's, the, that's what the leaven does in the flour. That's what 
Jesus is speaking about here the change that the kingdom of heaven will bring. This little leaven from the word of God initiated a branch of the kingdom of heaven there in Ephesus. And yet this little leaven, this little yeast resulted in great change, good change, but evil opposition. Verse 9 of Ephesus 19 says, Some became stubborn, speaking evil of the way. And that will happen in opposition to the preaching of the word. So Paul withdrew from the synagogue and he rented the hall of Tyrannus where he reasoned daily and he was there for two more years. This was really, if you want to argue, this is the first church plant, one of the first church plants where they had to go rent a place. (laughs) Okay, that's evidence in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Paul met at the hall of Tyrannus. It was a public hall where Ideas were shared, but they, they, they took control of that place for two years. It was like a, it was two years of church building. It was like Paul was raising up church planters from there and they spread out from Ephesus and created more churches. It was like a mini seminary, really. It was awesome, but it was all the result of preaching God's word. Now let's close this up. How, how, how does, how do we relate this to us? Because remember, the parables of Jesus are intended to, be, to test us. That's why Jesus is speaking in parables to the crowds. It, it's partly to test their hearts. First, I think we have to discern what role we play, if any, in the spreading of the seed of the kingdom. What role do we play in the spreading of the kingdom? According to Jesus' words here, not only in the uh, the parable of the mustard seed, but also in the parable of the sower at the beginning of chapter 13, the same theme is echoed here. There is a man who sows seed. What is our role? Speak the Word of God. Live the Word of God. Sow the Word of God above all things. So my first question is, how, do, how does this parable test us? We have to discern... What role were you playing, if any, in the spreading of the kingdom? Secondly, I think we have to discern what role God has for us in cultivating the seed or allowing the yeast, adding the warm water and, and kneading, kneading the dough. What is, what is it that God has asked us to do? What, is he, what does He have for us in cultivating the kingdom within our spheres of influence? People who listen to us, who we have their ear, who watch us and how we live. What role does God have in that for us? What type of culture is built here? Because we are called as human beings, as God's creative creatures. God gave us the ability to create. We create our own culture. Music that we listen to, music that we make, that seems to be... One of the, well, for young folks, it seems to be music. It was when I was young, right? I don't listen to the cool music anymore. I listen to the boring music now. I'm old, right? I used to listen to music on cassette tape. Ooh, with a boom box. Well, I had a little bit of of the eight track, but the cassette tape came along in my teenage years. Some of you had the eight track, but it was cool. We create our own culture, but now think about the culture today. I mean, we, we, what is, what seems to be the culture of our day? I mean, the Marvel superhero movies have a pretty big influence, it seems like, these last few decades, or last few years, right? 
whatever it is in our culture that defines us, our social media, this is something we have created, this is something we have made. How is that spreading the kingdom? Is the hidden nature of the kingdom of God truly working in those things that God has given us to make? This is where we're called into faith. If, is the kingdom of heaven moving? Is the kingdom of heaven growing even though we don't see it? Even though we don't, we may not even see the evidence of the kingdom of heaven in the lives of those that we love, those that we know. Mamas, keep praying for those that you are dear for, toward. Pray fervently that the kingdom of heaven is rooted in the children that God has given you. Whether you see the kingdom moving and growing or not, it is hidden and it is mysterious and it will do mighty things. If we trust that the kingdom is growing and working, then then we submit to the work of our Lord. We submit to his design for the kingdom. We do not make the kingdom of heaven in our own image. We are only participants in what God is doing behind the scenes. I think that's what we see here in the mustard seed and the leaven. When we look forward with hope at the culmination of God's mighty kingdom, We look forward with hope to what is going to come with the mighty growing of the mustard branches and and, and the great fresh hot bread that we are baking. We look forward with hope to that glorious outcome. What is that outcome that God's mighty work is doing below the surface that we do not control, that we do not see? That's where faith comes in. We have to have faith that the mustard seed is growing. We have to have faith that the yeast is spreading. We have to have faith that I do not see what you're doing, God, but I trust that your your purposes are good always. And your kingdom is glorious. Let's not be like the sinners in the plain of Shinar. And you're saying, where's the plain of Shinar? Follow with me here. They built a mighty city and they built a tower with its tops in the heavens. The citizens of the valley of Shinar sought to make a name for themselves. They had control of their culture. They had control of their world. Rather than be a part of God's building of His kingdom, these citizens in the valley of Shinar, they rushed and they built for themselves something wicked and something destructive. God confused their speech there and he spread them far and wide across the earth. Does this sound familiar? Where is the valley of Shinar? Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. What role do we play in this hidden growth of God's kingdom? We humbly become a part of it by God's grace alone, not our own efforts. We sow the seed of the word of God as God gives us provision to do so. We don't make our own seeds, nor do we discern where it goes. We cultivate the seed in the good soil. That's about it. But God grows the seed. We water it. We weed it. We make sure that it's tended. That's all. Everything else is God's control and God's design. And God's purpose. We wait and we enjoy the outcome of God's timing in His manner for His kingdom. 
We're not sitting back passively. He gives us a role to play by sowing the seed, preaching the word, spreading the gospel, living the gospel. Then we sit in the branches of the kingdom of heaven in the end with security and with safety and with confidence that our king will take care of us. And all those who hear the gospel that we live and we preach, they will be drawn to. Amen? That's a good place for an amen, folks. (laughs) That's a glorious amen. So I want to close with this question. Are you part of this kingdom? Are you patient in waiting for the final growth of the mustard bush? Are you patient in waiting for the final outcome of the glorious baked bread? Are you even involved in that? Is God calling you into that? To be even patient as you work in the kingdom as He calls you? I want to ask my prayers that God grants us all eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of what Jesus is saying here. Remember, that's what Jesus is echoing throughout all of the parables. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we we praise you this morning and we thank you. You've given us the gift of gathering as your people. You've allowed us to sing praises to you today. You've given us warmth. You've given us security. You've, you've given us a grand mission of the gospel, of spreading the word of God to all. You've, you've given us a kingdom to proclaim, not to build, but to proclaim. You build it. We proclaim it. And so, God, I pray this morning that all who have heard your word, these parables from Jesus himself, about a mustard seed that grows to something grand, of yeast that is violent but produces something glorious that we do not see the process but we know the end. Lord, when we are struggling to see your hand at work, when we are struggling to even see your kingdom, I pray, God, that you would bring these this teaching to mind, that you would bring this parable of Jesus to us, to to remind us that the kingdom of heaven is often mysterious and works in unseen ways. But we can have faith and we can have hope that in the end it will produce what you promise it will produce. It is something grand and something glorious. And, And dear God, we thank you for that. We pray that you would go with each and every one of us as we depart. And dear God, that you would use us in your kingdom, that you would find us worthy. And for that, dear Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.